The themes discussed in this episode might not be suitable for younger audiences. We've kept everything kosher, but if you normally listen to these episodes with your young ones, you might want to listen through yourself before doing so. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Somehow, and I promise this was not intentional, Why They Did That season finales have always featured guests that I'm incredibly close to, and this one really doesn't break that mold. My guest today is someone that I've known since I was 15, and she 14. Our first encounter was written in the stars. Our schools, not even a quarter of a mile away from one another, were spontaneously given a day off due to excessive snow, and naturally, all the students just convened at the local park. It was there where my friends and I caught a glimpse of her and her girlfriends. And naturally, we did what any young men would do that day. We chased them, bombarded them with snowballs, and proceeded to bury them in the snow. All in the name of fun. It was that day that I met the wonderful 5 foot 2 inch Nicole Pereira. At least, that was her maiden name. And my life would never be the same. I eventually started receiving Bible studies from her, started attending church with her, started having lunch at her house with her family after church, and naturally, I married her sister. Since then, she's been the best sister I could have ever asked for. They say you don't get to choose your family, but we choose her a million times over. I've had the privilege of seeing her grow tremendously, and I've seen her at her very, very lowest but I've seen her rise from those ashes in a way that would make the phoenixes burn with envy. If I were to tell you all the things that she's accomplished and all of her talents, then we wouldn't have time for a podcast. It seems as though God accidentally tipped the pot of special abilities over when mixing her up. So if you're feeling like there's not a whole lot you're actually good at, it's probably because all of that talent was given to her. She cooks like a chef, she dresses like a celebrity, she sings like a superstar, but more than all of that, she lives like she's a Christian, because that's exactly what she is. And this is her testimony, one that has never been heard before this moment. There is one aspect of the mold we're breaking though. Traditionally, we exclusively study Old Testament characters, with the one exception being Amy Retzara's wonderful take on Martha in season one. But today, we are firmly in the New Testament, in the heart of the Gospels, daring to peek inside the disciple that we seem to already know everything about. Peter was the most stubborn of the disciples, the most hard-headed, the one with the most to lose and simultaneously the most to gain, the one that wanted to be so much in Christ's inner circle, yet was the first to depart it when it truly mattered. He's the disciple that after Judas, probably lived with the most regret. And that's that's something we can probably all relate to. Perhaps some more than others. (laughs) 
And it's not like Jesus didn't try to tell him who he was. Right, or even just show him through his actions. Right, because even before this, when Jesus is in the garden, Mm -hmm. you know, Peter's sleeping. I mean, prior to that, he'd already committed himself to Jesus fully, right? Mm, Yep. And he's sleeping and Jesus comes to him and says, Simon, Mm. are you asleep? (laughs) And um, one thing that's very interesting, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right. And he's, and Peter isn't the only disciple there, Mm -hmm. but Jesus is trying to tell Peter something about himself. Peter, you're eager. You are just so quick to commit. You Mm. are just so self-assertive, but know that although that spirit is willing, mm. the flesh, my friend, is also weak. And we see just how, how on one side, how willing he is, and on the other, how weak he is. As mm. we said, he's he's willing to get out and walk on water, yeah. but he's weak and he mm. falls. He's willing to, you know, stand in the garden with Jesus and then go to sleep, and you know, not be the help. But as soon as he wakes up and there's some action, he's his flesh shows its weakness and that he's ready to chop a man's ear off. Um, and and we con- we constantly see the the inner battle yes. with Peter. We see the fact that he really wants to be a good person. He really wants to be an actual follower of Christ. Mm. Um, but Jesus is very honest with him when he says, "Actually, Peter, um, you're going to deny me. Like you're actually going to be in a position where you could stand for me and you could bear your cross with me." Um, and the reality is that if Peter had said that he recognized Jesus at this time, he likely would have been up there with him. Right. You know, he likely would have been crucified with his Lord. Mm. Um, but as willing as he was, the flesh, the flesh was weakened in that time of temptation. Uh, he decided that he didn't know Jesus and he denies him. Now, we don't do this with our mouths per se, you know, as Christians, we don't come out and say, and in, in times, oh, I don't know Jesus, you know, don't, don't count me as a Christian. Mm. In fact, we say the opposite, even when we're in the wrong, oh, yeah, but I am a Christian. Mm. We don't say it with our mouths, but we do say it with our hearts. Right. With our hearts, oftentimes, we deny who Jesus is. And I can really just relate with Peter on more than that level, because I feel like we all realize when we become Christians that the flesh is weak, you know, that's why there are so many admonitions in the, in the word of God that say, you know, live in the spirit, not the flesh, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these things. Um, I feel like growing up, I, I, I've always been this, um, impulsive, Mm. you know, sanguine person, if we're going to talk about temperament and, you know, Being 13, going to school, getting the attention from the boys. There's something about being, you know, a Latina, Mm -hmm. you know, like kind of mixed, but, you know, curly hair, you know, tan skin. Especially where we grew up. Where we grew up, exactly. (laughs) Uh, That kind of gets a lot of attention from the boys. Got my attention. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it was just... I knew it. I Mm. knew that I had male attention and quickly I began to have boyfriends Mm. and God in me 
the morals that had, were instilled in me told me you're not going to have sex before you get married. Mm. But I mean, I'd been indoctrinated for a while. So, you know, I can still date guys. That's fine. Right. You know, I'm, I'm going to kiss you, but we're not going to have sex. Mm-hmm. And then after a while that we've been together for a while, I'm going to make out with you in a dark room, mm. but we're just not going to have sex because I'm Seventh-day Adventist and we don't have sex right. before marriage. And just making these little exceptions, little by little, mm-hmm. I began to kind of find myself in a place where I never really could take back. It's almost like this impulsivity that I had, you mm-hmm. know, for me, things were like, yep, 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 yep. And it's almost like I couldn't stop it. Well, I mean, that's way. what happens when when you continue to make compromises. Yes. You know? Like eventually you have a line that you would never cross, but you get so close that you just push the line a little bit further back. So you didn't cross the line, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot further back than where it used to be. Yeah. And there's this analogy about a frog in a pot. Right. Where if you put a frog into boiling hot water, it would obviously know it's boiling and just jump out. But if you put it into the kind of temperature it's used to and just slowly warmed it up over time, that eventually the frog would boil to death because it's it the increments are are so minimal that the frog doesn't realize before it's too late. Mm-hmm. Now, the analogy actually, it doesn't make sense. The frog would actually leave. Right. They've tested it. The frog is not as stupid as I am. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the kind of lesson is true in that sometimes when when we make these these tiny compromises here and there, we do get to the point where, you know, maybe we are now, when we look back and think, how in the world yeah. did I ever end up there? Right. But I think that's the danger of looking at the letter of the law mm-hmm. and keeping the letter of the law right. and not the principle. Because I would say, well, the Bible doesn't say that I shouldn't date anyone. Mm. Right. Right? Does the Bible say that I shouldn't kiss my boyfriends? Mm. Um, no. The Bible actually alludes to me not having sex before marriage. Right. Right? Therefore, I won't have sex before marriage, but all of these things are okay. Sure. Right? Um, I didn't, I didn't understand. I don't think I was mature enough in the faith to understand mm. that it was about the principle. Right. Um, and that got me in trouble. Mm. Um, this impetuous, impulsive, proud girl going to school. around friends and seeing, you know, young girls having sex before they even reached, you know, mid-teens. Yeah. Um, getting pregnant. They were big topics amongst me and my friends. And we'd say things like... <laughs> it's so embarrassing to think, but... Um, why don't they just keep their legs shut? Mm. <laughs> You know what I mean? Can't they? And on abortion, really, if you're going to be brave enough to have sex with someone, mm. why aren't you just brave enough to keep the child? Right. There you are know? consequences. There are consequences. Um, those were the conversations I'd had with my friends. Um, they were my truth. <laughs> um, 
And I just kept living my life the way I was, knowing, mm. knowing in my heart that it was okay, you know, had these boyfriends, you know, do whatever. And it's interesting that the more I did it, the more I got hurt. Mm. And the weaker I became in the sense where, you know, a few boyfriends, you know, I had one guy cheat on me, wasn't getting the physical. And so, you know, mm. um, right. Another guy, we really liked each other. And, but he was like, look, I need sex. You know, that I'm used to having sex with girls. If you can't give me sex, then we're going to have to talk about this. And I was very impulsive and very, you know, what? Okay, that's fine. Leave. You know, I, I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, and act like it was okay. But then I think, wow, I'm, I'm not enough. You know, mm -hmm. oh. that was a really huge hit on my ego, on my pride. Um, and so through the years, I kind of been broken down, not just spiritually, because obviously that has had its implications on my spiritual life, but my self-esteem, mm. you know, this guy just wants me for sex. Like he doesn't care about who I am intellectually. He doesn't care about what I like, what I want. Right. He's just- Or what you have to offer outside of your body. Right. It's, it's just about that thing, yeah. right? Um, and so I, I started dating this guy. He was the first Seventh-day Adventist guy I'd ever dated. And I kind of let my guards down because I thought, oh, thank God, the first time I'm not going to have to be like, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't have sex. Right. Um, before marriage. Before marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't have sex before marriage. That's right. Um, and... You know, he knew we'd spoken about it and he was seemingly fine with it. But when we were alone, and we mm. shouldn't have been alone, but when we were alone, he'd try it. And, you know, I wanted to make it work. The relationship. Yeah, mm. I wanted us to, I wanted us to eventually, you know, grow up and get married and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and just the memories, you know, that guy left me because I didn't give him sex. And so one day we're there and one thing turns into another and it felt good. You know, we're doing the things that you do and it just happens. Um, I can't say that I felt guilt in the moment. Mm. It was just, I, I just couldn't see beyond that. Right. You know, it's just what it is. Um, after, of course, grief, guilt kicks in. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I believe in God. I want to serve God. I want to do the best I can. And yet I'm such a hypocrite. What have I done? Mm. But one thing I'm really good at, and this is really bad, I'm really good at kind of just drowning out my thoughts blocking and just it. blocking it. I'm not going to think about it. Um, and in doing that, I also block out the Holy Spirit. Mm. So for a while, I just didn't think about it and just lived in sin for a while. Mm. But God has a wonderful way of just communicating through people, sermons, music. 
and slowly my heart was softened mm. and I was brought to realize this was so wrong. This was just com this went completely against everything I knew, everything I wanted for my life. Right. Um, so eventually we broke up. Um, that was really painful. I broke up with him, kind of ended amicably, you know, no fights. We didn't want to break up, but I knew that he wasn't the one who was going to help me grow spiritually. Right, yeah. Um, and that kind of left him with a piece of me and me at loss, you know, that, that was something I could never take back. Yeah. He's always going to have that. And I was speaking to my sister. She's like, why you, Why do you only date silly boys? But I think the next one, he wasn't. Wasn't silly? No, he was just amazing. He was new in town. He was just very popular in school, very outspoken, you know, and I hated him. No interest until he calls me one day. He took my number off of my friend and I was just curious. Mm. Didn't really care much for him, but we started talking and not before long, um, I really began to like him. He was this hard shell, but this really soft interior, very sensitive, understood me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I just hit the jackpot. Mm. We're going to grow all together. This is amazing. And um, on the whole sex before marriage topic, he said to me, babe, don't worry. I don't want you for your body. I want you for you. Which was music to your ears. Oh my goodness, Dean. Literally, like just hearing that, I was like, ah. This is amazing fairy tale, you know, mm -hmm. you hear like butterflies right. and stop planning the future. Exactly. I was like, wow, this guy's gonna get baptized, he's gonna become a pastor because he's so well spoken and it's gonna be heaven. I don't know if we'd scheduled his baptism or not. Um one day we're together in his house and we're just talking about the future and kids and as as you do as a crazy passionate teenager. And um, one thing turns into another. It just happened. And I just, one thing that I know now from experiences, once you start mm. with something, once you go down the road of, you know, whatever it may be, sin, it's just easier to go back down that road. Mm. You know it, you've been through it. Yeah, there's a this um, analogy that if you were to walk through high grass the first time, you're not going to know where you're going. Right. But you're, you're, you're trailblazing. You know, you, slowly but surely, now there's a path that is yeah. just so much easier to head down. Exactly. Um, we regretted it straight away. Mm. We were like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. He's about to get baptized. And everything was going amazingly, and I fall sick. Physically. I, physically. I get what I think is a stomach bug because I'm sneezing, I'm coughing, 
my head is stuffy, all of those symptoms, you know, right? And flu. And I'm vomiting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Where did I get this from? No one in school had a stomach a stomach bug. When those things go around, we we know of it, right? And I'm tired and I'm sleeping for hours a day. Mm. And I lost five kilos in one week. So my mom looks at me at the end of the week and she says, Nicole, are you pregnant? Isn't it funny how they always seem to know? Like they can see through us, or as I like to put it, every parent has a secret angel that just basically tells them everything, like a, like a spoiler angel. The parallels between Nicole and Peter may not seem too apparent right now, but you might be starting to pull the pieces together. You're telling me you don't find yourself in these situations almost every day, where your mind is warring against your body, where you're seemingly sold out to God, defending his name. But then the enemy finds the chink in your armor and out of nowhere moves in for the kill. As if he's some sort of roaring lion seeking to devour, seeking to sift us as wheat. I call him. And I'm like, hey, babe. You know that time, all those times when we've spoken about our future and being together and just having kids and all of those things. He said, yeah. I'm like, well, I think we might have to bring that forward. Wow. He's like, what do you mean? Here's the thing, Dean. I knew because of my past experiences with him that he was gonna be fine with it. Yeah, I knew who he was. He was gonna say, it's okay. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. And I tell him I'm pregnant. And he says, Oh, man. My mom's going to kill me. <laughs> he then proceeds to have a bit of a, p a pity party your parents are gonna kill us and la 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 and I'm thinking okay that's fine this is just the initial shock I'm like okay so what do you think you know I mean I'm about to go to Brazil in two weeks what do we do mm. and he's just like ah oh, I don't know I don't know and I don't know how abortion came into the picture everything is just so blurry to me Um, but that's when I started be feeling more certainty in his voice, you know? Oh, when that topic came yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, he was like, okay, so how would you feel about that? It might be the best way going forward. You're about to go to Brazil. You know, there's, there's just so much at stake. He supported me the whole way through. 
in the abortion situation. And we decided, we made a joint decision that that was the best thing going forward. That week was just traumatic. I don't really remember. You know, like, I don't yeah. remember what happened that Trauma week. does that. But I do remember he went with me. And I didn't want to know what it looked like. The baby that is. I didn't research. I knew that it was going to be a surgery. Mm. That was too far ahead. But I didn't want to read paperwork. I wasn't interested in telling anyone my story, why I was going to do it. I just wanted to get through it. So mm. I just kind of, I just kind of went through it. Took me there. They put me under. And that was the day before I flew out. So we're on the plane. It's like the night of. And they told me, hey, you know, you want to keep activities to a minimum. I said, I'm flying tonight. And they said, don't. Don't do that. We we don't. Um, we don't recommend you do that. We recommend you just stay at home and rest. But I had to. I couldn't tell anyone. Right. I couldn't. It was a, you know, expensive flight. <laughs> and I felt alone. I knew that God was there, but I felt like such a hypocrite. I denied God so many times up until then. And that for me was just like, Nicole, I can't deal with you. Mm. You love him. You say you want to do things for him. And yet, you know, this was premeditated. It took you two weeks. Mm. And so I kind of just, again, blocked it out. And I don't know how many months it took me to kind of pick it up again. Didn't want to speak to God. I didn't want to acknowledge what happened. I just wanted to forget it. Mm. Until he calls me, my my boyfriend that is, and he says, it's all your fault. He was crying profusely. I did it because of you. I don't know if I can forgive you. Mm. And that was just so painful to me because I felt like if I had his support, you would never have done I it. wouldn't have done it. And I think for me, it was just really hard because growing up being praised, growing up being, you know, an intelligent girl, you know, a girl who seems to have it all together, who leads worship in church and, you know, who gets high grades in school. You always, it's almost like you grow dependent on that praise. And I know it's it sounds really silly, but when that, when you feel like that's going to be taken away from you, it's almost like too much to lose. Mm. I didn't, I just, I feared not being 
who people thought I was. And what's worse is I thought I was that too. And so he stood there, watching on. His saviour mocked, spat on, his clothes torn, his face bruised. This was Peter, the great Peter, leader of the disciples, bold and daring Peter. Had he been called to fight for his master, he would have been a courageous soldier. But when the finger of scorn was pointed at him, he proved himself a coward. In his heart, he was confused by his master's surrender, hurt by it even, until the moment came. Aren't you one of this man's disciples? No, woman. I don't know him. But I'm I'm sure you know him. I do not know him. After having seemingly given up, she turns back. But you were with him in the garden. You are one of them. You're a Galilean. You do know him. And that's when it happened. That's when this man that would have just went to war for his master a few hours ago stood there. And with the same lips that confessed that Jesus was the Son of God and the living Christ, he uttered. Well, we won't say what he likely said. Your lips confess that I am Lord, but your heart is far from me. What use is it bearing the name of Christ when our actions deny his existence, deny his influence, when our actions deny that God ever sent his son to this cursed earth to die for us? After everything he's done for us, how can we say we don't know this man? I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to the season finale of Why They Did That. If you've listened to the second season of Why They Did That, you'll recognize our sponsor for this episode. Types and Symbols, the creators of the Conflict Beautiful series, is happy to introduce a new beautiful set that they call the Life and Light Collection. Types and Symbols set out to create the most beautiful and readable edition of Steps to Christ, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, and Christ Object Lessons ever made. Each component of these beautifully created books was implemented with specific meaning and purpose. From the holographic foil detail to the cover design. Just as with the Conflict Beautiful series, the Life and Light collection follows the same editorial philosophy to promote an enjoyable reading experience. To stay updated on when this will be released, make sure to follow their Instagram at Types and Symbols. Do it now. Quick. didn't get any easier for Nicole. Months and months went by before she ever spoke to God or even acknowledged what had happened. She was broken, thousands of miles away from her family and even further from God. But then watch this. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, the Bible tells us that God, through Christ, reconciled himself unto us. In Jeremiah 31, 3, he says, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, 
in our sin, Christ died for us. In the Garden of Eden, having just plunged the world into incomprehensible darkness, God walks in the garden calling for Adam. I'm telling you of these scriptures and stories to show you that God is chasing you. He's running after you even as you run away. He will not give up. He will not stop. He will not cease loving you, caring for you, desiring for you to be reinstated in this relationship. He sends his love. He sends his son to show you that he accepts you, that you can be forgiven, that you literally mean the world to him. Sometimes God gives us some time to think, to take in what has just happened, and then, Peter, I will never stop loving you. I want to speak to you again. Nicole. I can hear the Holy Spirit. Clearly. Just speak to me. You've done this, I know. It's crazy of you. You should have known better, but speak to me. Mm. And I didn't. Until one day, we're with our friends, we're in school. Thought it would be the best way of learning the language fluently. And we are about to go to a party. And I don't know why, I think it was the first time that I'd ever noticed a woman with her baby. And Dean, I kind of went, <gasps> and just, mm, it, hit you. it hit me. You know, you know I don't cry. No. You know, it, it takes a lot for me to cry and I'm just bawling, Dean. I am going crazy. And Dorling's like, by this point, I told Dorling and she knew exactly why I was mm -hmm. crying. And she just grabs me, she hugs me and she turns me around and walks away with me. And I realized that I needed to deal with it. There was a lot of regret and guilt. It was a human being. And now I know what a 12 week old looks like. You know, it already has arms and legs. And I just spoke to God. I knew I could fall back on him because I know who he I knew who he, who he was. I knew the promises, right, that he'd throw our sins in the deepest of oceans and if we repented and turned mm. from our sins that he would forgive us. I didn't want to be forgiven though because I knew that I wouldn't forgive myself. And I remembered all those times when I'd say, why can't they keep their legs shut? Mm -hmm. And if you're brave enough to go ahead and have sex, why aren't you brave enough to keep the baby? And I realized I'm just such a hypocrite. I'm so weak. I'm not as good as I thought I was.
I think that's what Peter felt like. He knows Christ. He knows what he's capable of. But when the going gets tough, if fear gets the best of him and he's just like, no, I don't know him. Mm. I have no idea who he is. We end up breaking up as my mom had predicted. Turns out while I was away, he was sleeping with his ex-girlfriend who got pregnant and decided to have the baby. <laughs> that was another blow. She wasn't a Christian and yet she knew better. How could I have been so stupid? But, you know, within that guilt and regret, one thing was that the Holy Spirit told me was it's not about whose fault it is, you know, because I could have blamed him, I could have blamed myself all day long mm. and stayed within that circle, right. right? That vicious cycle of just putting the blame and not healing and not getting over it. And I just kept hearing him saying, it's not about whose fault it is. It's about who can deal with that mm. for you. And I knew that Jesus was the one that would be able to help me get over. And obviously I took responsibility for my actions and the consequences still remain, right? There's still a lot of pain and scars that surround the situation. But I realized very soon that after that, after having, you know, had that realization of what I did, coming face to face with my sin, that Jesus was enough. And that I'd be looking, been looking to myself and at myself for too long. That something needed to change. The way I'd been going was just destructive. Mm. The flesh way. And it was like God was saying, Nicole, you just need to beware of temptation. You're one of those weak ones. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't know about you, but I think it takes an incredibly brave person to come out and share this. Not to say, oh, I had an abortion and I regret it. Pity me, pity me. But to be able to bear everything publicly, to lay it all out and say, yeah, this is a part of who I am, but it doesn't define me. It doesn't have to define you. I've said this time and time again, our sins are not what define us. Our love is what defines us. And specifically our love for Jesus Christ, our love for God, because his love is unfailing. His love will pick us up and draw us to him. What will we love in return? 
Will we love enough to say, Lord, I am thine. Make me whatever you will. I know Nicole better than almost anyone on this planet. And I know that her reason for sharing this is simple. She knows, I know, you know, that there are countless people out there that think their sins are just too dark to be forgiven. That God can forgive theft and lying and, and, and maybe even adultery, but he cannot forgive abortion or rape or murder. And we're not here to excuse those things or to brush them under the carpet. Far from it, we're simply here to say that we are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see this really big transformation. Mm. Peter actually starts to get it now, doesn't mm, he? Yeah. He understands that he needs to stop looking inward and he needs to just look outward. And, you know, look towards, look towards tending, mm. you know, for Jesus, Jesus' flock. I find it really interesting that for Jesus, of course, being the ultimate psychologist, the ultimate physician, knowing what Peter had gone through, what he needed at that time was actually to get to work. Yeah. To become useful again, to feel like he had a purpose. And Jesus kind of pushes him into ministry in order mm. to do that. And there's that blessing in, in altruism. I think those who have been depressed mm. and who deal with anxiety, um, one of the things that is recommended to them is voluntary work is mm -hmm. work for others mm -hmm. you know work that doesn't just look at self you know what what can i gain from this what am i you know how are people going to see me if i do this work that just focuses on the other mm -hmm. um that's a huge remedy for people like peter and for people like me right and i didn't know that i always had dreams of just becoming this successful businesswoman mm. and being a millionaire yes you used to tell me all the time <laughs> i know <laughs> and just doing me mm. you know having my children having a husband and just living my life and while that seems like it's a good life mm. god wasn't a part of it right i mean he was on sabbath you know when I had to go and do my music ministry, mm -hmm. he was a part of my life. When I was, you know, I don't know, to teach Sabbath school, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But I failed to make God the integral part of my life. Yeah. And he's so gentle. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the same way that he asked Peter three times, almost like to affirm, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like God would regularly send me little hints, mm. you know. And I was working at this point. I, I was already married and completely unhappy. I wanted to build my life 
and I wanted to get to where I always dreamed of being mm. and I could not see happiness down that road. I'd come home and I'd say, God, is this all life is? Is this all life is? I can't, I, you know, it, it came to a point where I said, I, I don't want to be here if this is all life is. Mm-hmm. And that's when Renan, my husband, decided that he was going to go into ministry. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I said, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to be a pastor's wife. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a hard task. That's a, that's a big ask for somebody. Mm. Um, I said, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. And I fought with the Lord. And I could hear him telling me, it's the only way that you are going to be happy. And I'm like, no way, no way. There, No, that's not how I see my life. I can't become a millionaire by, you know, becoming a pastor's wife. That's just not the situation. And he's telling me, Nicole, you love me, right? Mm. You, you, you did say you love me. Um, and so, yeah, I couldn't say no. Well, I think that's what it takes, that perspective shift sometimes. Yeah. You know, for God to put us in a position where we're like almost kicking and screaming. Yeah. But we know it's right. Yes. You know, like yeah. I remember hearing the story of, I think it was the founding member of the Salvation Army. Um, obviously a Christian movement. The name is uh, William Booth, I think. and. Right. They were holding this kind of uh, mission conference where there was going to be thousands and thousands of people, and he was the he was the main speaker. But the week of that conference, he got sick, mm. and he was in bed, and told them that he wasn't going to be able to make it. And everyone's, of course, like, "Oh no, we've come to hear this guy." And when they realized that you know there isn't really a remedy, in fact, he might have been on his deathbed if I remember correctly. Uh, they sent a person there to do a telegram and to get him like to basically write down the message that he would have given. So the person spends a lot of the day in the room with him and then leaves, shows up to the conference at the end of the week and they have the whole ceremony and then this man stands up and addresses them as William Booth and this is the final message that he's ever going to give to the workers of the Salvation Army and so he looks at it and begins to read and he says, others. Mm. And then he closes it. Yep. And he goes and sits back down and there's just this shock and silence in the crowd. And then, you know, one person starts to applause and then a few. And then the whole kind of congregation is just in this kind of rapturous, elevated applause because they got it. They got yeah. that the whole purpose of the movement, um, the purpose of them being a part of the movement was because the focus as it needed to be for Peter. Yes. If he was going to get through what he had went through, the focus had to be on others. Yes. And I felt like that's definitely what he did with me. Mm. Uh, we moved. We kind of left everything that we had. I mean, we'd gotten to a point where we were getting comfortable financially and Brennan had been offered a really great promotion at work, which I was thrilled about. Mm. I thought, yes, you know. Um, we're going to buy our house and have our kids and, you know, get on the way to that perfect life I dreamt, dreamt of. And God kept telling me, no, that's not, that's not what I want you to do. I felt that so strongly in my heart, mm-hmm. Dean, I could not say no. And so we came to Weimar, California, and I know that it was God 
you kind of planted me into the position of secretary for the health program, which is a medical missionary program. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much mm. about myself, about healing, about ministry, about others. I've also had to dedicate a lot of time towards other people. Mm. That's my work. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I go, you know, months on end without getting a break. And weeks working from 8 a.m. till 9 p.m., putting on community programs and that focus on healing or, you know, teaching, preaching and all of these things. and Feeding the sheep. Yeah. And what's incredible is that if you told me that that's what I'd be doing now, <laughs> I'd be unhappy about it. Mm. But I'm so fulfilled. You know, that, that girl who had high hopes, high dreams, found her purpose in life. And, you know, I now feel like and know and can share with people and tell people that there's no better way than being in God's will for your life. Mm. And I just love how gentle God is in healing, making sure that those scars and wounds that I had in the past have now, are now tended to, mm. you know. It still hurts, you know, to think about what I did. You know, there, there's always that memory. Mm. I'm not guilty anymore because I know he's taking that from me. Um, but I'm so overjoyed by the way my life's turned out and that I get a second chance at serving. Mm. I get a second chance at being the disciple that I always wanted to be. And he showed me where he wants me to work. And that is in the field of helping people to find their way to God. Intercellar 
He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard the final episode of Why They Did That Season 3. Thank you to everyone for sticking with us this long. It's been quite a journey. And now while this journey isn't over, we will be taking a little break from producing this podcast. It's been almost four years since we started this. And while we've been so incredibly encouraged by all the feedback and testimonies that we've received, we need a little break. We do, however, have something really, really cool planned that should be released before the end of this summer that we think could be a game changer. So keep your eye out for that. In the meantime, you can still catch all of the content we've released on your favorite podcast platforms and YouTube, of course. A massive shout out to Paul, JJ, Savannah, Christian, and everyone else who has worked on the show this season. We'll be back, but until then, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. Mm-hmm.